Hello and welcome to the Master of Demon Gorge podcast. Today we're talking about Du Jiang Yin. If you already know a few things about Chinese history, you may be aware of the importance of hydraulic engineering in its annals. In fact, hydraulic engineering is connected to political legitimacy. King Yu the Great, Da Yu, the mythical founder of the Xia dynasty from some 4,000 years ago, reputedly won his throne by taming the Yellow River. In so doing, he won the support of the people, and so the previous king abdicated in his favor. But of course, that's largely mythical, without genuine historical or archaeological evidence to support the claim. So today, instead, I want to talk about another feat of hydraulic engineering and another engineer. Today, I want to talk about the irrigation system called Du Jiang Yin. And from the outset, let me just say what's so remarkable about it. Du Jiang Yin was constructed well over 2,000 years ago, but it's still in use and still an indispensable piece of infrastructure for the millions of people who live in the area and for the Chinese economy at large. Du Jiang Yin is located in what is now called the province of Sichuan on the Ming River. This is where, of course, Sichuan food comes from, also where pandas come from. In ancient history, this area consisted of two kingdoms largely independent of the central Chinese state or states. One of these kingdoms was called the Ba, and the other was called Shu. These toponyms are still preserved today, actually, correlating with the two biggest cities in Sichuan. The area around the city of Chongqing is called Ba, while the area around the city of Chengdu is called Shu. In the mid-11th century BC, leading up to the Battle of Muye in 1046, both kingdoms took the side of the ascendant Zhou dynasty as it overthrew the previous Shang dynasty. Despite this involvement in Chinese politics and the resultant recognition from the Zhou state, both Ba and Shu were probably ethnically, culturally, and linguistically distinct from the Chinese heartland at the time. As the Zhou dynasty itself fell into periods of disunity, which are known as Spring and Autumn and the Warring States eras, the Ba and the Shu persisted as tribal kingdoms in their respective domains. But then, of course, one of those warring states began to grow powerful. This was the kingdom of Qing, headquartered in today's province of Shanxi in the northwest. And the leaders of the Qing began to consider how they might be able to defeat all the other warring states and reunify China. The Ba and the Shu were not considered among the warring states. Like I said, they were 
sort of not really part of the Chinese world at the time. But they inadvertently provided the Qing with an opportunity to expand its territory and power. In 316 BC, the Ba and the Shu fought a war against each other. The king of Ba sought aid from the Qing. Bad move. The Qing answered his call and sent a vast army southward to destroy the Shu. But as soon as it did that, the Qing army turned around and invaded the Ba, conquering it as well. Thus, the domains of the Ba and the Shu, modern-day Sichuan, became a part of the kingdom of Qing. I tell you this history now because there is a modicum of debate over the origin of Dujiangyan, today's subject. The Dujiangyan irrigation system is located within the erstwhile kingdom of Shu. A pair of texts, a historical tract from the 4th century AD, and a book of geography from the 5th century seem to suggest that an ancient king of the Shu had ordered its initial construction. So that would obviously predate the Qing conquest. But this is emphatically a minority opinion. The much more widely accepted view, as reported in the Closer in Time and also more authoritative historical tracts, the Book of Han and the historical records, is that the kingdom of Qing was responsible for its construction after the 316 BC conquest. What happened was, after the Qing conquest, the former kingdom of Shu became the county of Shu under the Qing. In 256 BC, the king of Qing appointed a new man to the position of the governor of Shu County. His name was Li Bing. He arrived on the scene, saw the way the rivers in the region were, and hit upon the idea of an irrigation project to channel the water in such a way as to prevent flooding on the one hand and to maximize benefit to agriculture on the other. He led his sons and many other workers in the project, designing it and getting his hands dirty with the manual labor himself. They managed to complete the project by 251 BC. And, if you can believe it, they did it without constructing a dam. Rather, they used a series of bamboo contraptions called bamboo cages holding rocks within them. And it was so successful that it transformed the Chengdu Plains, the largest playing area in southwestern China, into a breadbasket. When the Qing dynasty fell several decades later, and the great rival warlords Xiang Yu and Liu Bang fought each other to see who would be able to establish the next dynasty, Xiang Yu made the crucial mistake of allowing Liu Bang to claim this area as his base, not realizing that it had become one of the most economically productive areas in China. Liu Bang ended up defeating Xiang Yu to found the Han dynasty. And that remains the case today, 
the modern province of Sichuan is still key to the Chinese economy, and still, in large part, thanks to Du Jiangyan. Of course, in well over 2,000 years, some level of maintenance has been necessary. It's not like Li Bing did his thing in the 3rd century BC, and that was the end of that. In 228 AD, the famous chancellor of the kingdom of Shu Han, one of the three kingdoms of the Three Kingdoms era, and nominally an extension of the Han dynasty, created a specific post of superintendent of Du Jiangyan, with 1,200 men working under him to ensure its smooth running. Under subsequent dynasties, the duty of overseeing Du Jiangyan returned to the local governor. During the Song dynasty, the government instituted a system of annually dredging Du Jiangyan, always during winter when fields lay fallow. And perhaps equally obviously, in over 2,000 years, the system has not remained unchanged. They set up stone horses on the riverbed to help them gauge the water's depth. In the Ming Dynasty, they replaced the stone horses with cast iron fathoms. The iron fathoms we can see today date from the reign of Emperor Wanli in the 16th century, the reign of Emperor Tongzhi in the 1860s or 70s, and from 1927. Neither has the technology remained exactly the same. Like I said, the earliest version of Du Jiangyan relied on bamboo cages, and these are still in use in various ways. But in the 14th century, during the Mongol era, a Mongolian official posted to the area decided that he didn't like using bamboo because the material wasn't very durable and wore out and had to be replaced constantly. In 1335, he introduced a new design using the iron anchors of ships. Under the Ming Dynasty in 1531 and 1550, the government twice repaired Du Jiangyan using the Mongol design. Then in 1877, during the Qing Dynasty, the government once again undertook repairs, this time copying the Ming methods. Debates persisted, though, over whether the truly ancient method of using bamboos or the Mongol methods were better. The debate became moot in modern times with the introduction of concrete. And natural cataclysms, disasters, have affected Du Jiangyan, though never destroying it. On August 5th, 910 AD, a tremendous downpour caused the river to flood, shifting the entire Du Jiangyan system by several hundred meters. Local legend attributed this movement to the god of the river. A massive earthquake in 1933 damaged Du Jiangyan. The Republican government sent a hydrologist to lead the repairs, and they were able to fix it by 1936. This version of Du Jiangyan was very successful. It only came to be modified in 1974 because of additional engineering projects that the People's Republic was undertaking. So, Li Bing, the county governor who first dreamed up this project back in 256 BC, truly accomplished something 
that redounded to the benefit of his countrymen for millennia afterward. The gratitude that the Chinese people have felt for him is perhaps reflected in mythology, although not so much mythology about him as about one of his sons who helped on Du Jiangyan's construction. Specifically, his second son is reputed to have slain a dragon in the course of the work. And at least by the early Song dynasty, he had come to be deified as the god Erlangshen, which literally means the second sun god. Not too long ago, we talked about the extensive records of the Taiping era, that collection of tales compiled during the early Song dynasty. That text contains legends about Li Bing and his son. Later during the Song dynasty, the Neo-Confucian scholar Zhu Xi commented that the worship of the second sun god was so widespread in Sichuan that it was as though he had taken over the province. Not too long ago, we also talked about The Journey to the West, that 16th century novel featuring the monkey king, Sun Wukong. Well, you may recall that Sun Wukong initially rebelled against and made war upon the gods in heaven. And the Jade Emperor, the leader of the Taoist pantheon, sent armies after Sun Wukong but could not defeat him. Finally, he found one god among the lot who succeeded in beating Sun Wukong in combat. That god? None other than Erlangshen, the second sun god, Li Bing's second son. I'll just leave you with one final detail, something that I learned in the book The Chinese in America by Iris Chang that has stayed with me. Although this does not directly relate to Du Jiangyan, but to ancient Chinese engineering more generally. As you probably know, the workforce that built the Transcontinental Railway in America wound up being largely Chinese. So it was they who had to face the greatest difficulties in the railway's construction. I'll just read this bit to you from Iris Chang's book. One terrifying challenge lay at Cape Horn, the nickname for a three-mile stretch of gorge above the American River, three miles east of Colfax, California, and 57 miles east of Sacramento. Through much of the way, a flat roadbed had to be carved along a steep cliff. And a Chinese headman suggested that they employ an ancient method used to create fortresses along the Yangtze River gorges. They could dangle supplies down to the workside in reed baskets attached to ropes secured over the tops of mountains. Reeds were shipped out immediately from San Francisco to Cape Horn. At night, the Chinese workers wove them into wicker baskets and fastened them to sturdy ropes. When everything was ready, workers were lowered into the baskets to drill holes and tamp in dynamite, literally sculpting the railbed out of the face of sheer rock. The lucky ones were hauled up in time to escape the explosions. Others, peppered with shards of granite and shale, fell to their deaths in the valley below. Without 
ancient Chinese ingenuity, the United States would not be where it is today. This has been MODG. Thank you for listening.